Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. All right, buddy. It's almost Christmas. We're almost there. The finish line is approaching. Cannot wait. <laughs> what do you do for Christmas? I, honestly, I stay in Sydney. I stay in Sydney. I don't go anywhere because... Everybody leaves. They yeah. take their kids. The roads become clear. I can get, <laughs> I can get, I can get to the gym in under thirty minutes, Very which nice. is sometimes what it takes to get there, depending on the time of the day. And Sydney's great at this time of year. It's sunny. It's stunning at the moment. Yeah, a bit everyone, funny with the rain, but generally yeah, it's pretty it's, nice and warm. It's been pretty nice, and um, we've survived five years. So we started recording together on the 30th of October, 2018. Yeah, so it's just over five months. Uh, sorry, five years. Um, yeah, in this bedroom where yes. it all started. Uh, there's been a few iterations. renovations and, and <laughs> versions of the studio, but uh, we're still here. We haven't killed each other no, yet. No, come close a few times. Come yeah. close. <laughs> I didn't ask you what you're doing for your Christmas. Sorry. Uh, well, I'll be flying to London on the 17th of December. Be there for two weeks. Um as always, sort of be running around like a headless chicken, seeing people, um, got a few things lined up for the kids, which would be nice. And then we come home, get a little bit of sunshine in Dubai yep. for six nights, and then we'll be back in Sydney You'd early love January. I do, it's great. It's a good, it's not quite halfway, but it's a good halfway sort of stop off from Sydney to London. Yep. And it's always warm, got friends there, yep. kids are amused, nice hotels, so why not? Yeah, and while you're overseas, you're meeting up with, Rick O'Neill, you're gonna have, yes. you're gonna have some beers with Rick. Oh, we'll have a business meeting about some... future um, endeavors together on the yep. podcast. Yep. But you're doing a bit of traveling next year. It, it's already a bit crazy. So end of February, I will be in Bangkok with Allegan, right. um, hopefully for the MD Codes. Um, so that's a great event. Everyone yep. who knows the MD Codes will know what it's all about. Uh, then uh, I'll be in New Zealand for a day or two with Allegan, huh? uh, doing a talk and maybe doing some in clinic stuff. Yeah which will be cool. Not been to New Zealand, so can't mm. wait to come and see you guys. And then a week or two after I'm off to London to do a masterclass with Stephen Land. I will be going to Norway to do a masterclass uh, with our friend Karim Syed, nice. who did our first ever webinar in the lockdown. So it'd be great to see Karim. And we're planning something a little bit different, a little bit special. So if you want to come to Norway yeah. for a masterclass, you know where we're going to be. Yeah. And then uh, to off to AMWC in Monaco. Oh, very so nice. It's, uh, and then to, to buy again on the way home. Jeez. Yeah. Busy, so busy man. Uh, busy, busy time. Busy, busy man. But um, um, in terms of the podcast, um, well, it's been a busy year for us as well and a big focus on our Patreon. Yeah. So in terms of the podcast, I mean, you know, we've been doing basically three episodes for the last five years <laughs> and we've had a bit of a content um, shift over those years. But I think now our sort of key topics are injected diaries. People seem to love those episodes, finding out about people's stories and their why. And then uh, we've done lots of business content, which yep. you've obviously been a main yep. driver of. So that's yeah. been super popular. So we'll be continuing those sorts of episodes for next year. Um, and maybe we'll make them a little bit more um, predictable in terms of their um, when they're landing. Yeah. So we have a bit more um, variation in our content, but that's been super popular. Um, Patreon, that's been a big focus for us. <laughs> We've basically turned into content creators. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I know you're doing all the ejecting stuff. I do a, a business post every week. A lot. Most of them are videos. I just find it easier. I've been doing yeah. a lot of stuff lately, just talking to different people about their business. So we've got nearly, was it 400 something patrons now? So about 550, Five. including the people on free subscription. So just to explain how it all works, we've got about 270 odd paying subscribers. Yeah. And for um, full disclosure, it's $50 a month Australian, but 
you know, you can get 10% off if you sign up for the year. And in fact, even next year, we're, we're sort of rolling out our referral programs. You save even more money. Yep. Um, but then there's, you can just follow our content for free. Yep. So you can sign up on a free tier. And next year, we're going to sort of do more for those people who sort of will be included better. Yeah. So there'll be something for everyone, but of course the paid content's the best. Yeah, and obviously the WhatsApp groups as well, which is always entertaining. Oh, that's well, it's entertaining, <laughs> but also I think educational. Yeah, I think there are some people there just for that because yeah. it's so valuable. You know, ask a question, get support, complication, whatever. Yeah. There's lots of people around you. Yeah, and I think next year we're going to be looking to focus on getting external partners mm-hmm. to assist us with content in particular areas. So that's something that's going to be a big focus for us as well. Yeah moving forward into the future is, you know, how can we diversify what it is that we're offering? Because it's not just about what you and I know. There are plenty of other people out there in the industry um, who've got lots of knowledge to share. So we're looking for collaborative opportunities with with those kinds of people as well. So that's exciting. I think I'll be starting some of my masterclass stuff next year as well. So that's still in the planning stage. It'll be purely business focused on the injectable industry. So live in person sort of group. Yeah education yeah, chat. They'll be quite limited. I want, want to try and keep them to like, you know, 15 to 20 people. I don't think I want them to be much more than that. I think there's yeah. enough people out there already doing conferences. Yeah. And so um, I'd like them to be more personal. People can interact, ask questions. And then hopefully the idea is to have people come back every quarter or biannually mm. and, you know, the same people discussing things maybe they've implemented in their business, sharing ideas and, and create like a more of a team learning environment yeah. rather than a lecture. That sounds cool. Yeah. So I'll keep everyone posted on, on how that's going, but nice. lots of stuff planned for 20. We actually just finished a three hour meeting. <laughs> yeah. Strategy meeting <laughs> yeah, for, for next year. It's uh, There's a lot going on. And, and uh, to be honest, sometimes it might look like everything's under control, but it truly isn't. And, and we're trying <laughs> to get better at that. So, you know, uh, I think the last not this podcast, but two podcasts ago, I, I literally forgot to schedule the podcast. So, you know, things like that happen and uh, we're human. Yeah. So we're trying to get better we're tr- and yeah, we're look trying- at automation to yeah. help us. AI, automation, etc. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I just want to plug my masterclasses oh, go as on. well. Sorry, yes, go on. Um, so, uh, well, the first one uh, will be with Tom Van Eyck. He's flying over from Holland. Uh, everyone will know Tom, but he's a, a big uh, Galderma KOL, very well known for some of his techniques like ferning and the Palmer technique and, well, basically everything. So we've already sold out um, January the 21st, which is a Sunday, and that will be more of a day where me and Tom talk about fillers, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll be focusing on mid-base. Tom will be talking about his techniques, and we'll start off the day with consultation. But the day before, um, we will also be doing a half-day toxin masterclass. That's interesting. So that's something that interests you. Uh, the description of how to access that information, how to book, will be at the bottom of the podcast. And so what are you going to be focused Is this for advanced injectors? Uh, that's a good question. We have played around with ideas, and I think we're going to leave it open because I think someone, it doesn't matter what your level, yeah. you'll get something from it. And Tom and I have sort of uh, had a really good chat the other night, and we agree that we 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 ourselves may not agree on how we approach a face. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Yeah. You know, if you get someone on a bed in your clinic, you ask 100 injectors what they would do, and you'd probably get 120 answers. <laughs> And that's that's how you're going to learn. Yeah. So we'll ring fence it to 10 injectors, uh, of course, 10 models, and the yeah. injectors can bring their own model. So we want you to bring someone who is what you would deem complicated or difficult yeah. or you don't know what to do. There's well, no point in bringing your mum who's had Botox 100 times because <laughs> you know what to do for mum. Yeah. Uh, and then we as a group will suss it out. Yeah. We'll we'll assess, we'll, we'll give you ideas, and we're going to use two different toxins yeah. for different models so you learn two different ways of doing it yeah it's interesting isn't it when you, when you think about it because it is an art form yeah and so when you go to art school you'll learn basic artistic principles but then every artist is like their own fingerprint yeah you know they, they they learn the basic structure and then they apply their own sort of personality and yeah. what appeals to them so yeah you're right i mean as long as you're doing things based on on sound you know sort of uh principle one you know what's it called first principles first principles yeah then um then it's just what do you like what's your taste yeah. So that's the beauty of it, isn't it? So, so why are we here stuff. today anyway? <laughs> well, it's kind of a wrap-up of the yeah. year and, and sorry to sort of plug some of the things that we're, we're, we will be doing next year, but I think it's important to know what's coming. Um, but yeah, we thought we would just sort of recap on some of the major trends and things that we have noticed or think that are important, yeah. um, not in any particular order. But, you know, the, obviously the, the big one is the the 
economic situation. Mm. And I'm sure it's similar in most countries. I've spoken to injectors in you know Norway, yep. UK, America, obviously. Everyone's reporting similar stuff, but let, let's drill this down yeah. to what we know best, Australia. Yeah. And you, you speak to well, yeah. hundreds of clinics and yeah. injectors and... People not necessarily injecting, yeah. but understand the industry. Yeah. Would you agree that the last six months, particularly, we've seen a bit of a contraction in people's spending, yeah. bookings, all of that? Yeah. I mean, you know, is it a contraction? Is it more competition? Mm. I think I think there's lots of factors sort of colliding. And you know, obviously, we've spoken about this, or I've spoken about this plenty of times on the podcast in recent times. You know, we have had lots of weird stuff going on in the world. Um, I think people with rising interest rates and inflation, that there's no doubt that that affects people's capacity for spending on, yeah. you know, luxury items. And I guess I'd call these treatments luxury items, really. Yeah. Um, so there's that going on. You've also got many more players in the market now. So, mm -hmm. you know, with what we've been able to do here in Australia with telehealth, which has opened up the floodgates for people being able to have their own independent practices. We've got a lot more people coming into the industry. Um, obviously, the chain clinics are doing their things. Um, and then you've also got consumers, not from not wanting to spend perspective, but maybe allocating their spending in different ways. So re re reduction in the amount of fillers that are being prescribed and injected, um, definitely. I mean, I speak to lots of people about that all the time. So, you know, their business is changing and evolving. So people starting to push back and not want those high volumes or injectors starting to reassess and, and, and change their practice, moving to more biostimulatory kinds of things, skin mm. treatments. I'm talking to people now that are educating themselves a lot more on skin, which yeah. I think is important. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens next year because Christmas is always a bit difficult to get a real read on what's actually happening in the economy because it's it's peak season for us. So I think mm. that we'll have a real good idea around how things are going to pan out and, and where we're heading as an industry, particularly here in Australia, probably in the first and second quarter of, of 2024. Yeah, and so but, that, I mean, you know, traditionally clinics, are, I don't know about the word dead, but they're not busy they're in not, January because yeah. people have had their yeah. pre-Christmas little sprinkle of tox and filler. Yeah. So, so, well, yeah, no, th this we're now in the peak and then we're going to head into, it's sort of like a, a steep drop off and then it's sort of a slow build up to the peak again. So it'd just be interesting to see how low that low is going to be and what the rebuild phase is like. Yeah, um, I mean, macroeconomics yeah. don't bore people, but, you know, the inflation has supposed to have calmed down quite yeah. a lot and so in terms of interest rates do you think that's peaked because I, I i felt like even though people didn't voice it to me they were sort of just holding on to yeah. find out what was going to happen before they dedicated their money to say botox give me one second we'll just pause this here for a sec i'm actually gonna i know the rba made a, a statement yesterday yeah so according to the uh press release yesterday or press release or statement the so the the RBA which is the Reserve Bank of Australia decided to keep interest rates where they are over the Christmas period so no change is good um, but we have seen a steady increase in interest rates over the last sort of 12 to 18 months which is when you combine that with inflation does start to put the brakes on oh, the economy yeah and so yeah I, th I think next year is going to be interesting and I'm, I'm hopeful I'm hoping that things continue to to press forward and, and we're all good. But, mm. you know, the advice I'm giving to all the people that I consult with and clients is, you know, don't take any unnecessary risk. It's not panic stations, but don't don't spend money unless you have to. If really. you had to, you know, every clinic is different, but yeah. if you had to guesstimate what the drop-off in bookings or spend was, what could you put a number on that? Mm. Somewhere between 10 and 20%. Yeah, yeah I think that's... Yeah, when I speak to injectors, yeah. everyone, like you said, it, it's not terrible. No, but, but it's, it's, it's got people, put it this way, it's got people's attention. Yeah. It's oh, noticeable. Sure. You know, the fact that people are starting to go, hey, I'm sort of, what's going on with my finances here? And, mm. you know, because I think a lot of the, as I've said, you know, these businesses in, in this space have been really profitable for a long time. So people really haven't had to pay attention in fine detail to what's going on financially. Let us know at the end of every quarter or the end of every month, there's profit there at the end of them. But and, I really, so, it, it's, I was speaking to someone the other day, it's yeah. so hard to sort of define what is an average year because the last three yeah. or four years have been so volatile yeah. and lockdowns and this and yeah. that and pandemic and then inflation. Like you don't know what a normal month is yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you try and reflect your numbers on last year or the year before, year before that, it's like, well, yeah, it's I can't on. interpret it. Well, yeah, because we've had so much anonymous, <laughs> anonymous, 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 
anomalous anomalous activity <laughs> going on you know with all this stuff going on around the world which is obviously outside of anyone's control mm. one thing that i have noticed a lot is that people have been reticent to put their prices up and so if i'm looking at people's financials over the last couple of years even if i'm saying well let's ignore revenue for example to an extent because as you said there's been so much unpredictability mm. but if i look at sort of their their margins and what I've noticed is that those margins have been decreasing for many people, yeah. ignoring the revenue. And it's because their product costs and input costs have gone up, but they haven't increased their prices. Yeah. And so that's something you have to sort of be mindful of as well as that sort of that marginal creep or reverse. Oh, for <laughs> you, sure. You cannot, you know, you don't increase it for a couple of years and all of a sudden what used to be quite a healthy margin yeah. has been diminished. And it, does, it doesn't really take much, to be honest with you, if you've got your rent going up and all your cost of products going up, you know, you, the difference between profitable and non-profitable can sometimes be quite quite delicate. So it's something um, to definitely- Some of the major suppliers have definitely put their prices up. Yeah. Not, not to mean names, but yeah. it's just a fact. Uh, food's gone up, electricity's gone up, everything's gone up. So yeah. I feel like if you don't look at that, yeah, you like you say, you're going to lose money. Yeah, and, a lot of, and the thing as well is a lot of people don't know what their break-even point is every week. Mm. So I can give someone a quick a quick- quick free piece of advice on how you, if you want to know what your break even point is. So if you go into your P&L, your profit and loss statement for a set period of time. So if you want to look at what your break even point is for the last year, we'll just mm -hmm. use that as, as an example. Um, go into your, 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 pet, your profit and loss, run your report for that, that period. So in Australia, we want on our financial year runs from July 1, one year to June 30, the following year. Yeah. Um, so when you run that report, you'll get a, a list of revenue and expenses. Your revenue generally appears on at the top, mm -hmm. and then you'll have your cost of goods sold, or you know, your imp all the things that your variable costs, the things that you need to supply to actually do a treatment. Yeah. And then you've got your fixed costs. So if you add your fixed costs and your cost of goods together, and then divide them by whatever period. So for saying a year, fifty-two weeks, that will tell you roughly what your break-even point is every week. Hey, that's what you need to make to so well. Yeah, to keep your doors open. Everything. Keep your doors open. Yeah. So that's something like a little quick of the back back of the envelope calculation. I'm not an accountant, so that's not uh, official <laughs> accounting advice. But for anyone out there that's sort of wondering where do I start with that, that might be <laughs> a good place to to get going. Is know what you need to make every week to keep your doors open. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but, so I think that the take-home message for me is don't panic. Look at make sure you're keeping up with inflation in terms of what you're charging your, your patients. Don't take any unnecessary expenses and don't take your patients for granted. <laughs> well, just to build on what you just ended with. So yeah. if you know your break even and I don't know, let's just choose a number, $1,000 a week. Mm. And then you know that you've got, I don't know, 15 patients booked that week or however mm. many, you, you should be able to eyeball your diary and be like, is that enough? Yeah. Well, also then you'll know if you, if you sort of work out what your average spend is per patient, which yeah. you should any sort of half decent CRM system. Yeah. We'll have that report for you what your average spend is. So if you just I'd call I call it back of the envelope calculation. So it's kind of, you know, an if, estimate, an educated estimate on, on sort of what you're making every week. So that's you know, if you know that your average patient gets forty units of tox yeah. and you charge X for it, that's yeah. how much money you're gonna make that week for tox patients. Yep. And is that covering your break even basically? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. good to know. Um we've also had obviously change in uh, the chain clinic sort of environment. Um, yeah. We sort of, I guess, predicted several years ago with uh, one of our guests, Bobak, that, you know, after COVID, potentially there, there may be some, yeah. uh, you know, closures or, 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 or yeah. scaling down of maybe the size of those franchises. Yeah. Where, where are we at? With oh, that? I mean, I'm not going to mention any specific brands, but I know there's a few market leaders, some of which we've mentioned on the podcast before, have had quite a few clinic closures this mm. year. Some have gone into liquidation. Some have just been shut down. Um, right. So it, it is. I think it is tough out there for some of those clinics, especially ones that opened up in the last couple of years that don't really have that deep database mm. of patients yet. Yeah. Um, those clinics that have high high patient volumes when you're working on such low margins, it really doesn't take much to go wrong yeah. to sort of turn that financial situation into the red. Yeah. Um, and I just think as well, they just as the chain clinics as a whole, not all of them, but I think a lot of them struggle to hold on to their talent. And I think as we've got a more discerning and educated sort of consumer base out there of people to understand how these treatment works, treatments work and what their expectations are, I think that they a lot of these clinics probably need to rethink their strategy and, and where they're going to position themselves in the marketplace moving forward because we do have a maturing market. Yeah. 
um, and they've dominated for a long time. And I think they'll always have a place yeah. and I think they're important for the industry. I think they have a role to play. Um, but in terms of how successful and how much of a force they are mm. in the future, I've got some question marks. Okay. We'll see. And actually, for, well, I know at least one of the chains, I'm sure they've all followed each other, but they, they did do a price increase. Yeah. They, they've looked at their pricing and it's been nudged up, which I think is good for the industry, yeah. but it's also good for their own business. So if you're an independent injector and you haven't done that yet, uh, yeah. look at it quite seriously. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've got a business that trades on the commodity of price, like they, the price is their lever that drives people through their clinics mm. and convenience to a certain extent. If they're putting their prices up, then that's something you should seriously look at as well. Obviously, I know that people, especially from a hospital background, are uncomfortable yeah. talking about money and that, that's re the reason why they don't. But what hints and tips can you give them to not just do it, but communicate it to their patients? Because that's something people struggle with. Yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are sort of safe ways to do this as well. So rather than just turning... A, a lead pushing a button one day and, and the prices go up is to potentially communicate to your patients that the prices may be going up or that you're looking to do it within the next month or two months, letting them know on their next visit. Um, the strategy that I talk to a lot of my consulting clients about is to sort of only increase prices for new patients Ooh. as a first step. So that allows you to not alienate the people that are already within your business. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're sort of protecting what you've already built. Yeah. And then as new people come in, maybe you put a, you know, a 10% increase for those people. And if that's well received and successful, then maybe you just sort of do it in stages. Mm. You know, there might be people that have been with you for a long time, you know, that were your early, your early patients, you've almost become like close friends with them. You know, maybe you give them a, what's known as like a grandfather clause where you hold their price or you hold it for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think staging it is sometimes a safe way to do it. Yeah. And I think just understanding your numbers. I mean, at the end of the day, when you remove the emotion from this and actually sit down and, and look at what you're actually making and what your business is costing you now, um, the decision starts to become quite easy. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of, ignorance out there or people just not wanting to it's sort of like too hard basket that i want to sort of turn their mind to that sort of stuff because it's all too overwhelming mm. um, but you don't be one of these people that sort of buries your head in the sand and then all of a sudden you realize your accountant's telling you one day hey you're actually uh losing money <laughs> yeah. and you need to increase your prices then you panic there's it's very hard to implement a well thought out strategy when you're panicked yeah so i think just being proactive about it and, and just you know being financially responsible Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I guess the next trend is the types of products that have yeah. hit the market or even coming on the market. It's been a golden era, hasn't it, lately for uh, new products? It's, it's been good. It's, yeah. it's exciting. Um, I mean, let's start with toxins. So here in Australia, we had Leti Botulinum toxin yeah. launched or Letibo. So from a business perspective, yeah. do you think that um, clinic owners who obviously, you know, looking at their profit yeah. and loss and margin and costs, yeah. You know, having a, a cheaper price toxin is obviously attractive. So yeah. do you think that lots of people yeah. have, have dabbled? Yeah, absolutely. And tried that new toxin? I, th I think so more, more now than ever, as you said, with things getting a little bit tighter and people starting to recognise that price potentially could be more of a focal point for patients than what it was and with mm. increased costs of running their businesses, if they can get a product that's equivalent to what they were using before, then I think that has motivated a lot of people to yeah. have a look and dip their toe in the water. Um, and if we're talking about like sort of Latibo specifically, I mean, I know that lots of clinic owners personally who've brought it into their clinic and it's made a massive difference okay. to their margin, particularly when you look at the fact that 70 to 80%, maybe let's call it 60 to 80% on average is toxin treatments within people's clinics. Yeah. And so if you think that that's the lion's share of your revenue yeah. and you can add a significant amount of margin without changing anything that you do. Yeah. Same time, same yeah. injector. No more risk. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the challenge is always converting patients over from a toxin that they've been using for a long time. And that's maybe something you can speak to as well as, you know, I know you're, you use uh, Botox. I know you're an Allergan man, but I, but I mean, in terms of what kind of conversations can people have with patients to get them to try a new toxin because the last thing you want to do is if it's not broke why fix it but at the same time if you can give someone the same result and you're making more margin yeah you'd be crazy to at least not consider it i would think yeah um we're recording this 
before our webinar that we're doing with yep. Professor Hack, but that would have already happened by the time this yes. podcast is out. So he, I anticipate that he's going to tell us how to best use Lativo. And, you know, I'm an experimental KOL uh, or, or injector. So even though, yes, I, I definitely do use Botox, but I like to know what's out there. Yeah. And I like to know um, how it performs and, and how these yeah. things are equivalent or not equivalent. Yeah. Um, and I'll be interested to hear what Professor Hack says about his dosing of Latino. Because yeah. even though, at least here in Australia, per unit, it's a lot cheaper than some of the other yeah. brands. Yeah. I don't know if it performs as equivalent in all areas of the face. Well, particularly the frontalis, right? That seems to be the, the, the area of contention with any new toxin. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to speak for every injector in the country, but I have spoken to lots of people who have tried Latibo, and it does seem to be frontalis that, for whatever reason, there's either less effect or less longevity or it just needs more units. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference in injecting technique potentially? I think there's so many variables, yeah. but especially with frontalis, because it's a, a thinner muscle, it's a bigger surface area. Um, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. Where a, a glabella, it's just a thick piece of muscle that most people have. Yeah. Or a crow's feet, you need less injection, so it's easier to sort of control that muscle. Um, so I think it's depth, it's pattern, it's dose, it's not um, accounting for sex variability, so male, female. It's not accounting for the fact that, um, you know, some people have just got sun damage and those lines are never going to go mm. and, and just so on. Yeah. So frontalis is just trickier, but I suspect Professor Hack will tell us that he does more in frontalis. So even though we talk about equivalents of mm. um, Latibo to other toxins, um, maybe just need a little bit more in some areas to get the same effect, yeah. but you probably still could save. I don't know. I don't know the yeah. numbers. It's, it's just interesting. Yeah, because you hear so, so much um, discussion around the frontalis, even with the same toxin between injectors. Like it seems to be the area that commonly comes up as difficult. If you're going to have an issue, it's going to probably be there. You're going to have like a spock or you're going to have yeah. a, people need to come in for a, for a, a dose adjustment. I like to call it, I don't like to use the word top up. I say dose adjustment. It's not a top up. Yeah. That sounds free and yeah. um, never use that term. on the house. Yeah. <laughs> Language is important. Um, that seems to be the area that's always troublesome for people. And so, that's not product specific. Yeah. So let's just be real. It's and why, just, do you, why do you think, I mean, we'll just, let's go down this alley. What, why do you think that it is such an area? Is that people don't understand their anatomy? Do they, are they get, do they get sloppy? Like what um, do you think as a clinician? Well, if you think of what is happening to the skin and why the wrinkles forming, you've got numerous muscles yeah. pulling in different vectors, creating lines on the skin. Yeah. So really what you're doing with toxin is deli delicately ban balancing three or four muscles yeah. doing different things to get an average result. Yeah. Um, and the main ones are, uh, you know, glabella complex pulling down yeah. and in and frontalis lifting up. But then, you know, there's this sort of concept of the frontalis doing two things. It, it pulls up and pulls down. And in the middle, it's sort of, you know, pr uh, Professor Cotifana calls it the C line or the yeah. line of convergence. So long story cut short, it's just, it just is tricky. Yeah. And it takes experience to understand, well, what does that balance mean and what dose mm relates to that uh, severity of line. Yeah. Um, and that's why two-day courses don't work. Yeah. Um, and that's really it. I think, you know, I'm still learning about toxin now. I've been doing it for 16 years. Yeah. I'm still tweaking and I'm still going to go down the path that John Joseph um, was speaking about oh, with yes. different dose. reconstitutions and high dose and triple dose. And, you know, it just gets more and more interesting, but it gets more complicated as well. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, the more we learn, the more we realize there is to learn. Yeah. Is it just, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and as John Joseph said, it's easier not to change. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. really is. Just carry on what you're doing and, you know, 80% of your patients will be happy. 10% will kind of have a minor grumble but won't come back. Yeah. And 2% will come back saying, hey, there's a massive problem. Yeah. If you don't think about what you're doing. So if you can get that 2% down to zero or, or less than two and get your 80% happy to 95% happy, it, it, that's a win. Yeah. But and, until you really think about it, you can just stay in the slow lane and do okay. You'll do mm. average Botox. Yeah. I mean, even our patients voice to us or voice to me anyway, they'll say, um, I come to you for filler because you're 
good or whatever. But tox, it's easy. Mm. I'll go somewhere else because that's cheaper. I mean, they don't all say that, but I have a handful who say that. And I'm like, okay, well, until you have a problem, that's fine. But many eventually go, yeah, you're actually right. They, they didn't know what they were doing. And why do, why do you think that is? Have you not explained the complexity of it um, to look, your patients or do you think I, it's just I, out there in the market? I guess those patients who literally voice that, it's not that common, but you know, might yeah. have five or ten a year who say that. I don't want to sit here and say, well, I'm better than them. You should yeah. come to me. I mean, that's not what I want to do. But I will say to them, hey, that that's awesome. Like, I'm really glad that you're happy. However, it is really complicated. And, um, you know, if you want a second opinion, I'm here for you. I, I, I don't want to sort of sit there yeah. and say I'm amazing. But it, it is complicated. And eventually they'll get a spark, a dropped brow. Uh, and I'll get that as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm not perfect. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I eyeball a new patient who I think is tricky... I will say to them, hey, it's actually a little bit more complicated than than maybe you've realized. And I'm going to deliberately book you a two-week review because I want to see how I did. And if we need to do, like you said, a dose adjustment, yeah. then you know that's the plan. And I tell them that this is normal. It's okay yeah. to come back. It doesn't mean I failed or that you're too difficult. Sometimes it needs two goes or two, 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 two um, slots yeah. to get it right not an exact science no definitely not um so moving on from what's already been released there may be new things to come mm -hmm. um i don't actually obviously know dates and i can't speak for the companies but um there is a brand called nuceva also known as juvo in america yeah um so that's already been tj approved i looked on the um artg website it's yeah. already been approved i can only assume that from a marketing or a business perspective they've delayed maybe because of latibo was launched as well i don't know mm -hmm. um so that will presumably be, be coming mid next year i would guess mm -hmm. so that's interesting and i know that some of our um patreons and listeners have been using that both in the states but also the uk um i know that galderma have got one up their sleeve that probably won't be next year i would guess 2025 okay um rela botulinum toxin codename qm1114 Oh, That's just the trial. Yeah, just sort in of case name. you can't remember, a yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's going to be interesting because it's a completely new strain of botulinum toxin A. So I think they found a new strain in Scandinavia. I think oh. it was. I don't want to be misquoted. So maybe that's not exactly the story, but it's definitely a new strain. Okay. So um, it comes as a liquid. Um, apparently, there's no um, human albumin or animal product. It's if you want to call it inverted commas good for vegans <laughs> yeah. and um so that's interesting and then we've got daxify which we know is already launched in the states um i understand that they will be aligned with choxane here in australia right um so that will probably be 2025 so and in fact there's even another one called dtx021 but that's made by the company who make the little aqua gold device you know the oh, little yeah, stamping yeah, yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're developing their own toxin so Lots of new stuff coming. So I guess I would predict, but I'm curious to get what um, you think about it. It's just going to get, well, more choice often leads to better pricing for, for, for us as the buyers. Mm. But I don't think there'll be a drop in price for consumers. I don't see the point in that. Mm. What do you think? I think market forces will always be market forces. Right. And that if there's a cheaper product on the market, there will always be someone that drops their price to mm. capture more patients. Yeah. That like you that's even if everyone except one person. Well, we haven't does seen it. that with Latibo, have we? There have been people that have dropped their price, yeah, for sure. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, and the more that there are, the more that will probably happen. And mm. then that's when it's gonna start to become, well, do you hold the line and keep your prices where they are? Yeah. Um, what reasons are you going to provide for your patients to pay more to come and see you? Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's kind of going to be very interesting to watch because you have this infl you know, influx of new products and if some of them are going to be wildly less expensive yeah. than what's currently on the market, there will, be, there will be people out there, you know, because it's not just clinicians like yourself that are in business. There are business people yeah. that are in business yeah. and they don't care really at the end of the day it's it's all numbers for them and so if they're looking at a spreadsheet and saying well 
if we drop our price to this, this is how many patients we're going to see. This is our margin. Happy days. I mean, and so we've, you know, you've seen the chain clinic sort of take, take well, I was going to say, you, yeah. you or we have covered that yeah. in, in previous episodes and we came to the conclusion, I think, that at some point there is a rock bottom price that cannot be, yeah. you know, there's a threshold, right? Yeah. And um, if you go too low, you're basically depending on serious volume to make money. Yeah. Well, the, the, other, the other factor in that as well is providers. Mm. So there'll be businesses and then there'll be the provider challenge. So supply and demand. So, and we'll get onto regulation later on in the discussion, but there are other factors at play as well that yeah. could sort of curtail. Number of injectors. Yeah, correct. And so if you've all of a sudden got less injectors or people that have realized, hey, running my own business isn't as easy as what I thought it was and I want to go back to being an employee, you know, being a business owner isn't for everybody. Yeah. Um, what does the supply versus demand ratio look like? Mm. And so if it sort of starts to recalibrate itself to a point where you've actually got um, less, suppl less supply than there is demand or, you know, the ratio goes back the other direction, then, you know, you might find that those prices do hold, not because people don't want to drop them, it's just because they don't need to. Yeah. I, so. I mean, I don't have any specific names, but I know that there are probably several other new toxins i haven't even mentioned that list from um korea or, or yeah. other asian companies where they could be significantly cheaper than what's yeah. even available now and i do wonder whether that would set up like almost like a two-tier toxin market I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know maybe but maybe um be interested to see if you start getting clinics opening that just do talks that would be interesting I think I think, I, I've, I think I've seen I think I've seen some of them that exist or heard about them. I, I can't. It's been a long time. Uh, look, the, the idea in principle works. It's like you say, it's the lion's share yeah. of what you do, and it's what I used to do in the yeah. UK years ago. Um, but at some point, or very quickly th these days, your patient's going to go, "Well, what about this saggy yeah. face?" Yeah, or whatever. And and if you can't cater to that, you won't keep that patient. Yeah, it's it's an interesting discussion. Like, how much do you offer? Like, how how wide do you make your skew? Mm. Um, you know, do you do toxin and filler? Do you do biostimulators, you know, off-label? Like, how, you know, what's your risk profile? Do you do skin? Do you have devices? Do you mm. have therapists working there? Like, it's always interesting to see where people put position themselves in the market and, and what their business model looks like. But yeah. then I guess the other argument for that is, is well, you know, we're moving in, into a world of hyper-specialization. And we sort of had, you know, we have that discussion with Michael Caine talking mm. about how, under and you know we just referenced this earlier in the chat you know how under trained people are gen as a general rule yeah um and if you look at something that like toxin which was i guess historically considered quite simple it's actually not that simple <laughs> definitely <laughs> and not. if you want to be really good at it and if you've got like a real passion for it and you don't like the idea of having the risk profile of doing fillers and dissolving and all that kind of stuff you know, is there room in the market for like a lightweight model that just does toxin, does it at a relatively competitive price? Um, I think... It's going to be interesting. I think what you'd have is, you know, a clinic with three or four injectors. And in fact, people like um, Jamie, who we've had on the podcast, yeah. she, she might do this similar. Um, you might have a junior injector who just does tox. Yeah. Um, they, they learn that really well. And that, that would actually be part of their training pathway yeah. that you can't do filler for year one. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's too risky. You need to get good at this, but within the business, you have an injector yeah. just doing tox. And then you have like a tiered, uh, injector team yeah. who do different things. Yeah. One specializes in biostimulators, one might do a bit of laser, yeah. and then you have a more harmonious team who aren't competing against yeah. each other. Yeah, and then, you know, that, that is the advice I'm giving to a lot of clients is to slow down people's development for new injectors. Don't try and get them to master everything in, in a few weeks. You don't think lips, cheeks, chin, and jawline is good on day one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I have to sit here and say I was part of that problem. I was in that mm. that environment, and I think that and some, some sometimes it you hasn't know, gone away. Everyone is still teaching it, yeah. roughly like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think as as time progresses, we realize every day how complex mm. what it is that we do as business owners in this space and clinicians in this space, and I think that something will have to change at some point. And again, this will sort of feed into the regulatory chat we're going to have. But yeah, I don't know. But I, I would be interested to see. I think there might be some of those that clinic concept over in the States. I haven't seen it here in Australia. Hmm. But it's interesting. 
Yeah. Um, fair enough. And the other toxin I didn't mention uh, e. is botulinum toxin E, which... Um, and just remind everyone what that does again. Well, Allegan are developing it, um, and it's a, sh well, very fast acting. So within, I hear, six to eight hours, it's locked in. It's like full result. Mm. But it wears off after two to three weeks, which kind of seems odd. Mm. Um, but I see specific uses for that in training. Mm. So can you imagine, you, you know, you treat someone at the start of the day and at the end of the course, you go and see all the results. Yeah. How cool would that be? Yeah. Um, well, but if, you to, if you want to do some dose experimentation on a patient that's willing to... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not entirely sure whether there's a market for new patients who want to dip the toe and have a two-week toxin, maybe. Mm. Most of our patients don't seem to have a problem mm. with a three or four month result, even though they're new. Um, but, but you only know the patients that are going ahead. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, obviously those last minute ones who just couldn't arrange their diary and maybe they want a result the day after that, that's possible as well. But then I also see um, maybe a role for it in using it in post-surgical scars. So just to take the tension off the scar to stop it keloiding and becoming uh. lumpy in that initial period right and then once that scar has relaxed over a couple of week period you don't need yeah. the tox well and i guess the other thing was what john joseph spoke about which was his i don't know if it's proven or it's a hypothesis at this stage the antidote yeah like it's the high laser or hyalinex if you're in the states for toxin type a's yeah maybe um be interesting to see if that works i mean you'd still have to put up with a, at least a two-week Ptosis that you cause by the botulinum toxin yeah. E yeah. to kick off the toxin type A. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, but I don't have a date for that. It could be 2025, right. could be even later in the future. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, it's interesting. I just, you know, this, this industry is so fun because yeah. there's always new stuff happening. Yeah, um, the, the other thing to say about toxins, just before we move topic, is there will be at least one new indication on label for one of the major toxins. I don't want to say too much because I don't know how much of it is public knowledge, but um, one of the companies will be teaching a new area that's on label this year. Is it already being treated off-label, that yes. area? Okay. So you I might say, well, the what's the difference? But I think the point is that if you can teach beginners a new area yeah. in an evidence-based, safe way that you can prove efficacy and dose, that's good for the industry. Because yeah. then you're not having injectors learning off YouTube or however yeah. else they're getting yeah. that information because it's not taught. Yeah. So I think the more that these the companies invest in on-label indications, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it might not seem revolutionary, but I think it'd be good uh, for, for all injectors. Any other companies will follow? Yeah, these things are so expensive, which is why it's kind of major because you're like, oh, wow, you've invested in that. Yeah, and then right. there may be another area coming the year after. You're not allowed who to knows? say who it is. Um, I think it's public knowledge. I'm just scared that they're going to kill me if I, oh, right. if I say okay. it. Okay. But it, it is public knowledge. I'm just... Okay, so go and Google that. Yeah, Google that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so we, we've sort of touched on filler trends and, and skin quality and, and, you know, things. But can you put a number, if you've spoken to clinic owners, on how much their HA filler oh, usage yeah. has dropped? Yeah, um, 20 to 30%. That's pretty massive. And it's not even just clinic owners like reps. Yeah. I've spoken to. Yeah. I yeah, won't yeah. say which company they're from. Yes. But reputable companies, big yeah. companies, yeah. Um, have said that they've had a drop off in their accounts in relation mm. to fillers down by 20 to 30% in a lot of cases. And, and so, again, yeah. could be just be patient spending less. It yeah. could be people, um, you know, moving to other products like um, bioremodelers or biostimulators or yep. even uh, polynucleotides around yeah, or, or even device, exosomes. Or device treatments. So, you know, yeah. it's just getting more... We've got more tools. ...complicated but also good that there are different paths to, to follow rather than I'm going to stuff your face with HA. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think um, we've also just maybe gone through that evolution mm. as injectors where we've realised that isn't the right tool. You can't keep on doing lips every three to six months and cheeks every six to 12 months. Like it's not necessary. No, I mean, it's like every industry. I mean, when, <laughs> when the Model T Ford came out, Henry Ford said, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, you know, we had one type of car. Think about how many cars there are on the market now. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to, 
um, <laughs> say that injectables are anything like a car, but what I'm saying the concept of markets and innovation and as things become more mainstream and popular, you're going to get more choice and more variety and new products are going to come out. So yeah. I think it's pretty pretty par for the course, but uh, it's in, it'll be interesting to know how much of that decrease is being driven by people reallocating their funds to different treatments, but the yeah. overall spend is is the same but i mean in, in the same in the same breath you know what i said before was you know people have reduced their spending yeah um but are they are, are people reallocating them to different treatments within the clinic and is that because they don't want filler or they've something more suitable has come out is it is it the consumer that's driving it is it the injector that's driving it i, I think it depends on your practice and and you know your yeah. patient cohort i mean for me i can only speak for me um i see i don't know 90% regulars and 10% news yeah. plucked out the number out of the sky. I don't know if that's true. And so the regulars have had all of that stuff done yeah. by and large. Some of them still haven't done any filler. They're too scared. But the, the ones that I've treated don't need it yeah. consistently every time I see them. So then we might talk about other treatments or even refer them for laser internally so they you know, they see the team and, and they're looked after in another way. Um, but sure, a, a new patient, if they've never had a treatment, are always well, potentially going to need an HA filler. You can't get around that. Yeah. So if you're a newer injector seeing more walk-ins and more news, yeah. I, I would assume that your filler volume might be more than yeah. another injector. Mm. I just don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like as a group, as a country, Australia has gone through that big lips phase mm -hmm. and, and that overdone cheek phase. By and large, the, you don't see too pockets. much of it these days. I don't no. see as much of it as I used to. No, definitely not. And, and that's why I'm basically basing it on my walk through the shopping mall. <laughs> you just don't see as much of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think we've evolved as as injectors, and I think the patients are, are, have yeah. evolved. They've they've they're reading this stuff about filler migration and filler longevity. They're asking questions yeah. now. I mean, it's like a form of fashion, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the outfits people used to wear back in the 80s or the 90s you know all the sort of you know bright colors and the yeah yeah <laughs> things things Thin eyebrows yeah, plucked eyebrows you know and eyebrow piercings and <laughs> mohawks and yeah it's just it's I've always hated the male the, the man with a, a ring in his eyebrow I just never understood it did you used to have one no i didn't um but i like also the one where people like they they shave a bit a of line. their eyebrow and yeah. it's like all the, wow all these people just had had the same accident <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it originally supposed to symbolise that's one person you've killed? Nothing. That's the tattoo from prison. The, that's the teardrop under the oh, eye. Ah, the teardrop. Okay, I, I wouldn't know having never been to prison. <laughs> so my, my gang culture isn't quite up to speed. But okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But okay, so bias stimulators. They're obviously trending. Um, yeah. It's not just one brand. I think you know there'll be more brands yeah. coming next year. Um, Look, I don't know. I, I, you know, we don't have uh, a lot of experience with some of these ones coming from other countries and different materials. Yeah. I do worry, uh, without any evidence, but I just worry that there could be a new raft of new complications or, mm -hmm. or, or, or anticipated ones just because of more volume of, of new products yeah. and things that are not dissolvable. Yeah. So that's just something to be cautious about if if you're thinking about you know using a completely new brand. Um, and then we've got polynucleotides and exosomes. It's it's getting interesting. Yeah. And then you've got all the devices with what they're doing with like muscle stimulation and yeah, there's a facial lifting. Yeah. Muscle whole, stimulation. There's a whole heap of stuff happening. Yeah. Um, right, now let's talk about regulation because Ooh. last week we did a bonus episode. Yes. Or was it two weeks ago? I can't remember now. Um, where we sort of dropped in midweek on a Wednesday because we spoke to our friend Maria Reed in Tasmania, one of the states of Australia. And um, I think here in Australia, it may not seem like it's hugely going to change but i think with what maria said things could change quite radically mm. in a year mm. maybe earlier i don't know yeah what are your thoughts on that on the regulation yeah or the chances of it happening both <sighs> well maybe just summarize for people who haven't listened what it, what it was okay about. so so basically around i think it was like the second lockdown in covid so we're going back a couple of years now here in australia and there was an interpretation of the way that schedule medications are handled in Tasmania. So I think the Department of Health in Tasmania took a different interpretation on how those drugs should be handled. And essentially what they said was that a doctor needs to be on site 
because these are scheduled medications and, and nurses aren't allowed to be using them unsupervised within or their- stocking Or them. stocking them. Yeah. And so I think what happened, and this is what Maria said in the episode, um, was that the Department of Health issued a statement to say that this is our interpretation of the legislation and you're either going to need to have a doctor on site or consider becoming a licensed facility. And Maria goes into all the detail in that episode. So if you want to um, hear what she has to say, go and listen to that. It's only a 30-minute chat. It was a little bonus thing we put out. Mm. Um, and so I think some clinics, including hers, took heed of that notification and went through the arduous process, which I think took quite a lot of time to and hours and effort to, to get across the line. Yeah. Um, Went and, got, went and became licensed and now the Department of Health is basically starting to enforce that um, and basically if someone was to get audited by, I think it was like the poisons. The poisons agents or yeah, whatever they're called. Um, that there could be a fine um, and then I guess you'd have to look at, well, this would be the major concern for, from, a, I guess, a business perspective other than the fine, which is not great, is um, where does your insurance stand Yeah, if you have something that happens and you need to claim on your insurance, is there going to be some question marks and some risks around your policy being honoured if you are not complying with the law? I, would, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know if this is true, but what about your, your licence to practice? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I don't think anyone really knows yet what's – I don't think it's been tested. Mm. Although, according to Maria, there are still people that are trading – um, in Without spite, a license in, or a doctor. Yeah, and so it'll be very interesting. So I guess we'll have a bit more information. Mm. Um, as I said, we're kind of all just speculating to a degree and Maria goes into it in, in quite a, a lot of detail in our discussion. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the regulators respond to people that are not compliant and what the consequences are. I know that um, a lot of the big you know, telehealth companies have decided not to offer scripting support for clinics that aren't licensed. Or so, supply, yeah. Yeah, so they've had their supply cut off. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, so it's Fresh that have stopped. Mm -hmm. I don't think Juve support nurses in Tasmania. I'm pretty sure they don't. If right. I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure they don't. Mm. Um, and so the question is, well, and how how are these places that are going to continue to operate going to be... Going to need getting, a doctor or license. Yeah, and so... So it's almost like, even though it's voluntary you kind of can't opt out of it and still work. Or yeah, it's you'll like, get caught it's like putting a gun next to someone's head and say it's voluntary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, and, the, and, and so the risk was, is, is that going to spread to the rest of the country? I, I, I can't see it not happening if I'm completely honest. Yeah. So I guess the take-home message from that conversation was find out what licensing is all about and, and start looking at getting your house in order and, and going down that path because mm. it looks like there's a, a reasonable chance that it might spread. Um, and I'm happy to share my thoughts on what I think about the regulations and, and sort of we've had some debates on text message back and forth. And there's a few other people in the industry that I talked to. We've had some spirited um, discussions around it. Mm. Uh, but from my perspective, and I'm happy to hear what, what you say as well. I think at the end of the day, um, we need to step back and, and look at what it is we're hoping to achieve from regulations. And I think that any sensible person would say we want safer outcomes for patients, whether that be from complications and better aesthetic results I'd say that would be. Would you agree? That's that. That is yeah. that is that is the aim of regulations to make patients safer and give better results. Yeah, and, okay. and uh, I mean, and and obviously have ethical yeah. business owners and and of course injectors. Yeah, but I guess it all comes back to why is because we want safer outcomes, yeah. better 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 looking results and safer outcomes for patients. So, yeah. um, if I look at what is driving potentially bad outcomes, unsafe treatments, complications that happen that don't need to happen or complications that could have been handled better is the skill of the person on the other end of the needle. Yeah, it's not the license on your door. So I, well, I don't have any issues with these regulations. I think that any step towards increasing patient safety and stop people being able to advertise inappropriately, at the end of the day, I don't know how much safer that's going to make patients. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Mm. But I think if anyone is serious about regulation to increase patient safety, then the best way to do that is to have better qualified, more highly skilled people doing injectables. And if mm. you look at the, the mess our industry is in, in terms of no formal training pathway, yep. 
um, no sort of government accredited or recognised qualification or specialty. Because I do see this as a specialty. I mean, I don't think it was, I don't think anyone envisaged this. So this was always <laughs> in a bit of moonlighting or side hustle like 20 years ago, but it's now become very obvious. This is a high, a highly specialised craft. Yeah. Just like if you were going to do neurosurgery or plastic surgery or, you know, anaesthetics, whatever it is, it, it's, it, it requires its own specialty training pathway. And we've got different providers, whether they be cosmetic physicians, plastic surgeons, dermatologists, anaesthetists, any sort of doctor background. You've got dentists, we've got registered nurses, we've got nurse practitioners just here in Australia. So there's lots of people that are in this industry who have been injecting for a long time. Yeah. And they've all got different backgrounds, different levels of experience dealing um, with patients in acute settings, being in situations where they have to maybe deal with emergencies, have adequate experience in communicating with patients and picking up red flags. And so I think that we as an industry have kind of done this to ourselves with all of the tittle-tatting on each other and pointing the finger and creating a lot of media noise. Yeah. And I understand if something's done wrong, it should be exposed and it should be rectified. But I do think that we've kind of given ourselves a bit of a black eye in this, in this sort of infighting and, and sort of creating so much noise, the regulators have responded yeah, and they've responded with these regulations. And as I said, I'm, I'm all for regulation, but if I had to look at what is going to make the most positive difference to safe patient outcomes and better aesthetic results is to actually have a formal training pathway. Mm. And so, for example, you might say, you know, um, if you're a nurse, for example, you might say you have to do a new grad year or you have to have X amount of time in hospital in, in acute settings before you can become an injector or you yeah. have to sit, you know, you, do you have, I mean, the other thing as well is like <clears throat> who's actually signing off to say that you're qualified or appropriate to do treatments? Um, I don't, I mean. Who, no one wants to own that. It's correct. not. Well, it has to be me. Poly- it's not pharma. It's not um, a third party course. It's not opera. Um, no one seemingly yeah. wants to sort of put their name on a certificate and say you're yeah. ready yeah because we can't define it so i think that we need to first of all agree on like what is the base minimum of qualification and, and experience that someone has before they can venture into aesthetic medicine yeah um we probably need to do some form of examination which is probably a combination of theoretical and practical application of technique yeah um, and then at least that way, you know, that no matter whether you're a dentist, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, that you've had the appropriate amount of experience. And that's probably going to differ between doctors and nurses because doctors have to go on and go and do time in hospital for many years after they finish university. Yeah, we don't that, get a choice. Exactly. So, you know, probably the, the baseline might differ, but in terms of once you've reached that point of being able to proceed to cosmetic medicine, whatever whatever background you've come from, mm. then everyone needs to f- effectively comply with the same standard. Yeah. Actually, that's technically not true. At least here in Australia, you would do one year as a doctor. Yeah. Then you get your full medical license after one year. Right. And then you could leave hospital forever and be yeah. an aesthetic doctor. Sure. So at least one year in hospital, whereas yeah. as a nurse, you, you just graduate and go, bye. Yeah. So I, I think that I'm not here to say what that prerequisite should be. And I'm not here to sort of diminish anything that any particular group does or mm. backgrounds that they have. But I think we need to agree on what is that minimum. Yeah. And then everyone needs to basically adhere to the same standard. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you yeah. could, you know, a bit like the um, theory driver's test and practical yeah. driver's test. Yeah. You could have the most simple aesthetic test, but at least everyone does yeah. it. And well, if someone fails, you don't get in. You well, can't have a needle. Well, here's the thing. Like an example, an analogy I gave to someone I was, I was talking to, about this too was, you know, if you've got people on the road who are unlicensed driving, who haven't been examined, yeah. you're going to have a lot of accidents. Yes. And so in response to that, do you start regulating the way that cars are sold or do you make people pass a driving exam? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I broadly agree with yeah. what you're saying, but I've been thinking about what Maria was saying about, you know, yeah. protocols for everything from, yeah. you know, your door size, which, yeah, of you know, whatever. It's a practical policy, I guess. Yeah. But also things like hand washing, yep. how you handle and receive and store your drugs and, um, you know, what is your procedure for the de- deteriorating patient. I think that is great because it forces you to think about it and it forces you to have proved that you know, you, you've got some level of um, mm-hmm. standard in your clinic if you have it audited. Yeah. And if you don't have that, then clearly you're not prepared for it. Yeah. And therefore you shouldn't be doing it. 
But I guess I don't disagree with what you're saying, but if you have higher quality people who've been trained better oh, and, and, and there's more barriers to entry for them to get to the point where they can inject, yeah. I, I mean, logic would, would, would sort of say that you're going to get a more compliant, more highly skilled person yeah. so that whilst what you're saying, these regulations are important, they're going to probably be less of an issue because you're going to have better people doing the job to start with who are probably already more compliant, who are more serious about the craft. Yeah, you've got more um, passionate. Yeah, correct. Um, and so uh, for, for me, it feels like they've done, they've sort of started with these regulations, which I think were probably going to be, a, you, once you get better people injecting, then you've got a more highly skilled industry. Mm. You can identify what the problems are after you've got the right people in the position. And then you can come back and implement further regulation once the dust has settled yeah. and you've got better people there. Then it seems like that will be the next progress progressive step is to then regulate mm. things like, like that. So I'm not saying it's – I just think if you've got a limited budget and what's the most important thing to do right now, I don't yeah. think anyone could – I would be happy to debate anyone – um, who would say that not getting more highly skilled people with a needle isn't shouldn't be the first priority? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the worst um, complications, yeah. at least here in Australia, I think we've had yeah. five blindnesses ever. Yeah. Uh, and then there was that um, terrible death um, in Chippendale with the breast augmentation, and she died of um, tramadol. Well, some sort of. Yeah. Uh, I think it was tramadol. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's local or tramadol yeah. or, or, or yeah, what some, was done to anesthetize. Was someone pretending to be a doctor? Well, not who, pretending to be a doctor. I think they were an unlicensed doctor from another country. It's kind of a... So... <laughs> it's kind of pretending. Do, doctor, but just not in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah. my, my point being that, you know, some of those were unavoidable. I Some of the blindnesses were skilled, yeah. uh, you know, experienced injectors who just had a bad day or bad luck. Uh, one of them, again, I don't want to sort of spread rumors. I heard that they didn't have hyalase on site yeah. or they did and it was expired and yeah. they didn't know what to do with it. So yeah. that is a very um, practical issue. They yeah. didn't have the right product or, yeah. or it wasn't in, in date and then they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. So that's both a training issue but also a procedural issue of, well, yeah. in an emergency, these are the things that you do. Okay. And if your medicine's policy was correct, you would have not had expired stock. You know, just... It's all mixed together to create a better pathway if we do both what you say, get yeah. better skilled injectors and have a level of competence plus a baseline of what we would agree yeah. to be good standards. But where do you start? Um, what, I think, what's going to make the biggest well, the, difference from day one? Well, the standards ones is easy because they've just thrown it into Tasmania and said, go. Mm, you know, you yeah. do this or, you, or, or you're not compliant. Yeah. Um, I wish that we could all club together as uh, we're going to have to different colleges and we're going to have to at some point. Yeah. Well, I we've think, spoken about this on podcast. Yeah. We tr we tried to heal this on the podcast, but we got together for um, sort of yeah. people from different backgrounds, and I I felt like we made some headway, but mm. nothing has really come of it. Yeah. I mean, and I guess to sort of um, deal with the issue of how do you deal with those people that are already in the industry? Yeah is you'd have to give them time to go through an examination process yeah. to prove competency. So yeah. you'd have to say you've got X amount of time to pass this theoretical exam and book in a practical yeah. testing of some point. So at least that way, you're not going in and shutting people's businesses down. Yeah. You're still putting in a standard, giving people an opportunity to to become compliant and to to get themselves ticked off. Yeah. But if I, if I sort of look at limited resources, which governments have limited resources, um, and what's going to make the biggest difference in the shortest possible time. That If I, if I was in charge, that's where I would start and then I'd come back with, with the other things. But, you know, it's an, <laughs> it's an interesting topic. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it all, how it all pans out. Mm. But, I mean, you know, that doctor, that person that was an expired doctor, no amount of regulation would have stopped that person. They were working, no, out, they were, they were working outside of the system. Correct. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't playing by any rules. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's regulations done to death. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Got a bit dry towards the end. Um, so why don't we wrap up? Yeah. And uh, I would like to say thank you to our listeners. Yes. And all of our sponsors and all of our yeah. Patreon members and absolutely everyone for your support. It's been uh, yet another amazing year where we have grown. And, um, you know, we went to an event at the Juve yeah. Awards just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you meet people yeah. who listen and it's really amazing to hear the impact of, you know, we're sitting here in your bedroom yeah. having a chat, yeah. but the impact we're having on people, um, someone even sort of 
referred to me and you as their mentor. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. And I and I, I sort of feel really humble when you hear feedback like that. But I, I'm glad that what we're doing is somehow useful. Yeah. I mean, I can only second that. I mean, it's, as I said, you, you don't have any idea about the people that you're impacting, whether they be here, even people like overseas, you know, you occasionally get a message from someone, mm. in, you know, Europe or in the States and you go, well, you, you sort of sometimes don't recognize how far the message travels, but it's humbling. Um, I love what I do, even though you and I sort of um, have some very differing opinions on things sometimes, but I think that's kind of what makes a podcast work as we come from different mindsets and different backgrounds. And I think people appreciate that, but thank you to you as well. Um, Thanks, buddy. For, for, for all the effort and driving over to my house every week. Um, well, you can't and- lose any more hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's been fun. And uh, like we mentioned at the start, we've got lots of plans for next year. Um, so uh, onwards and upwards. Yeah. Um, if, uh, you do enjoy what we do please reach out um i'm going to use this opportunity to say if you could leave us a review yeah. on apple podcasts or spotify it always helps us it sort of pushes us up the charts and gives us more visibility um if you would be kind enough to sort of share you know the podcast links with your friends on whatsapp groups or facebook groups um if you really want to sort of show your support you can do a a post on Instagram and so sort of say yep. something nice, just anything you like, we would hugely appreciate it because it helps us and uh, and we'll do more for you. Yeah, and uh, if you're interested in joining our community, we've got some um, free trial periods for our Patreon as well, so you can come and check out what it's all about. Yeah, all the links will be at the bottom of bottom of the podcast description. Yeah. We'll see you all in 2024. Yes, uh, so we're actually going on a break uh, for three weeks now. Yeah. So happy Christmas, guys. Have a happy holidays. Stay safe. safe. Yeah. Uh, eat lots, drink lots, but also stay fit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Santa's kind to you all. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you in 2024. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.